This is Christian Conversations, Episode 3, brought to you by Turnimage. If you're looking for custom-printed t-shirts, hoodies, hats, and even sports jerseys for your organization, but you don't know where to start, these guys are for you. Turnimage will get you connected with your own dedicated print agent that will help you from start to finish on all your printing needs at an incredibly affordable price. And best of all, it's owned by a Christian friend of mine that I went to college with. These guys are the real deal and who we plan to use at the Everyday Christian Network. Check them out at turnimage.com. Welcome to Christian Conversations, a podcast where I sit down and talk to other Christians about their incredible stories and how their faith has played a role. I'll talk to people all over the world about their lives, their stories, their journeys, but I want you to know this, just because we have a conversation doesn't mean we always agree on everything. But I think it's important that more and more Christians at least engage in a healthy conversation. So let's jump right in. Well, consider this your warning. This is an episode that is going to cause you to really think about some things. I'm talking about some hard things, like should we adopt a kid or should we even become foster parents? This is an episode that is just going to really challenge your thinking on that. I know, I know, you're probably like me, and you're thinking to yourself, there's no way I could adopt a kid, because if I do, there's, I would fall in love with them, and I would want to help them, and I'd want to begin to raise them as my own, and then someday the state's going to come back in, and they're going to take them back and put them in a situation that I know is bad for them, and I just don't think I can go through that. I actually ask my guest about that today, and she gives some amazing biblical answers to that that I, I think were convicting for me. If you don't know Angela Bedingfield, you are missing out on knowing one of the most wonderful people in all of the world. She's one of the busiest people I know. She's a pastor's wife. She's a mom of, well, I'll let her tell you about that. She's involved in education in her church and in her community. She does so many things. It's actually amazing that she was able to even take some time out to have this conversation with me. But I asked her to do it because I really felt like it was something that the Christian community needs to do more talking about. There's websites that I didn't know about that she introduced me to that list the names and the faces, the ages, the likes of so many kids that don't have a home. It's heartbreaking. If you go to your state that you live in right now and look up a certain website, you'll find that there are kids waiting to be adopted in your community. It's really sad that as a, as a church, we're not doing more to help the fatherless. We're not doing more to help those that need a, 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 a mom and a dad, that need a place to stay, a clean house and, and a bedroom and a pillow to put their head on at night. There are some kids out there that are really struggling, and Angela is doing something to help with that. And she's going to help you today. She's going to give you some education. She's going to give you some encouragement. But overall, I think this is an episode that's going to speak to your heart and your life. So here's my conversation with Angela. My husband, Tim, and I have seven kids. And we had three children um, biologically in three and a half years. So we had those pretty close together. And then the Lord saw fit that we couldn't have any more children ourselves. And so we began looking at, well, what was the purpose of this? And so we ended up getting into foster care and we have four um, daughters that we've adopted through the foster care system. So we have six daughters and one son. Our son is the oldest. And then the six girls come after him. And then we also have an eighth, um, which is a foster placement right now, is a little baby boy who's 15 months old. So you, you mentioned you have foster kids, you've adopted some of them. 
where did all of that start? How did you guys go way back? What what year was that? What was happening to to kind of bring you to that place where you're like, hey, let's let's foster. Our original thought was that you know we have our children and we love serving the community and we're heavily involved in our community. Um, but then when we moved, we were in the Chicagoland area at that point. And so we were very embedded in the community we were in, which is a community that had great needs. And we served the children there, like in their homes, um, going into the neighborhoods, taking them food, getting them dressed, playing ball with them, you know, and we served a plethora of children. You know, we were very well known in the entire neighborhood. When we moved to where we are now, which is um, outside of Peoria, Illinois, it's a smaller community and that need wasn't so much there, but we knew there would be a need, there was a need and we had already considered adoption and foster care and if God would have us do something with that. So at first we just considered being like advocates, like let's get our license and we can advocate and we can help. And Explain to me what that is, <laughs> what's an advocate? So an advocate, like somebody we could just come through and support somebody else who was in foster care. Okay. Like we didn't know for sure if God would have us um, be foster parents or if he would just have us support someone else as in we'll come along and help you, you know, if you are foster, we'd always thought of adoption yeah. and we had already looked into international adoption and private adoption and all those things. And when it came to foster care adoption, we didn't really know anything about it. I mean, we knew it was out there, but we hadn't educated ourselves on it. So the best way to educate yourselves is they have these training classes. So we went and took the training classes for foster care. Okay. And um, when we did that in doing that, you gain all the information you need to know when the classes are over, it's like 12 weeks, I think um, you're not licensed. So, but you're educated. So you can decide from there, this is, you know, something God wants us to do. This is not. And so we went ahead and became licensed and as an advocate as, at that time. Well, as a foster parent. Okay. So we, we were licensed foster family, but our minds were, you know, how can we just help the community? How can we advocate? Yep. How can we, you know, help support another foster family? And, um, we put on, you can put on what you'll take. Like you'll take, you only want one child, three children, teenagers, babies, whatever. And so we're like, we'll just start with one, like kind of ease into this and we'll have one child under the age of three and that's what we'll go with. And our first call was two children or two children, both of them over the age of three. And I'm like, oh, well, this isn't exactly what we called it, signed up for, so to speak. But we just, when that call came, we had turned others down because we just didn't feel as what God had, um, the different situations, but this one we felt like we should take. And so we took two sisters that were um, four and five years old. And that was our first foster placement. So then we were kind of in the game at that point. So how, how did, how did you approach that as a, as a mom of three already, how old were your kids at this time? Your biological children? Um, they roughly? were probably 13, 11, 10, somewhere in there. Or okay, 11, so the, 13, 14, somewhere in that range. So you guys have routines, you have school systems. You uh -huh. got, I mean, you're kind of living life and you get mm -hmm. these, these two girls that come in. How were you feeling at the time? Because I know like people listening that maybe you're considering this or something. There's fears involved. There's uncertainty. So be real with us for a minute about how did Angela feel about doing this? Yes. I felt like what I've seen most people feel like, and here's what happens. It's you get, you're super excited. I remember when I had our first child biologically, 
super excited, of course. Oh, yay, we're having a baby, we're having a baby. And then after we had him in the hospital, the first morning after we had him, the pediatrician came in the hospital room and checked up. And he's like, all right, mommy looks great. Do you have any questions? I'm like, no, I'm not going think of. And he's like, all right, well, um, we'll see you tomorrow or whatever. And the nurse comes in later on that day. And she's like, okay, well, tomorrow, you know, be taking them home. And we're all excited, blah, blah, blah. And that word hit me, like taking them home. And I'm like, wait hold on. <laughs> what do you mean? Like taking him home? Uh-huh. That's right. And I remember thinking, I didn't ask the doctor any questions. Cause I'm like, why not to change a diaper and feed a baby? I've been babysitting for years, but then it was like, it was real. And I was like, well, well, how often do you feed him? And how much do you feed him? And do you like change him and then feed him? Or do you, does he go to sleep and then you feed it? Like, and so the next morning when the doctor came in, he's like, all right, you're going home day. Do you have any questions? And I'm like, um, yes, hold on just a minute. And I uh-huh. pulled out this whole list of questions like, oh, I have questions. I'm taking this kid home. And uh, it was like that with fostering. And I've seen many people experience this. You're so excited. You're so excited. You're so excited. And then when the call happens, like for us, we got the call. And 30 minutes later, we were down at the hospital picking up these two children who we had to go through locked elevators because their mom had was like a freak show and had like ran off. They didn't know where she was. We had to take a different route home. It was kind of funny. It went, it's not as scary as it sounds, but so yeah. 30 minutes, you know, a- after this phone call an hour later, I'm driving home with these two kids in my backseat, a complete strangers. And you had 30 <laughs> so, minutes to prepare for that. Oh yeah. No prep. And so it was a Wednesday night for us. And we have church on Wednesday nights. And I remember we were on our way. Church started at six 30 and this was six o'clock. We're on our way home. And I told Tim, my husband, is like, okay, you go and go to church. I had to do some of these girls. I mean, they were filthy, you know? Mm. And so we came home. I had no clothes, no undies, nothing, zero. So our girls who were, like I said, like 10, 12 at that time, I remember we gave them a bath. And even that, I'm like, I don't know how they're going to respond. They don't know me, you know? So I give them a bath. They did fine. And we pinned on, I told my girls, they bring me a skirt, like some elastic that we could pin on them. So you literally pin clothes on them. And went to church and then, you know, it was just this crazy thing. But the next morning, and this is where I see a lot of people struggle. The next morning, they're sitting at my table having breakfast. And I remember like, so that night was kind of like, oh, this is fun. This is kind of like the baby was just born. You're like, Wah! and we got them settled. We got them some clothes and some pajamas at the store and got home and got them settled to bed and all that. And the next morning, it's kind of like, okay, that was fun. And you get up to start your normal routine. There's these two children sitting at my bed at my table and I remember looking at them thinking like oh I'm not babysitting (laughs) like they're not going home whoa and you get this overwhelmed feeling and everyone I've talked to I'm pretty sure has had that and I've known some people that really struggled with it they let Satan just take that overwhelming feeling and just shake them Mm -hmm. and I remember thinking to myself like Angela we don't go there. We have this little saying in our house. We'll say that like, we don't go there. Just let the Lord take care of it in our minds when our minds start to wonder. So what's the feeling of feeling of fear or feeling of an, it's you're an, not going to be capable or what's kind of going on? It's overwhelming. 
I yeah. think it's like if someone showed up to your house, you know, when you're babysitting, you probably babysat for friends before, um, you know, and you're like, hey, we're going on vacation. Can you keep our kids or something like that? We're going mm-hmm. to a conference and you keep them and it's fun, fun. And it's all that. But then, you know, when they go home, it's like, OK, that was fun. I didn't mind it. But it's nice to be back into our routine, sure. you know, not having three extra kids here with us. You don't mind it. It's fun. And you kind of have an idea of what the behavior is going to be and how their parents parent them and all of that when you're babysitting. And you have a touch point. Right. Like something goes wrong. Like, hey, they're not eating the green beans. Do they not eat green beans? Or, hey, they're screaming at the water. Are they scared of the water? You know, and then all of a sudden you're looking at these two girls. You know nothing about them. And they're not going home. Yeah. And you don't know when they're going home. And all of a sudden you get this feeling like, wait, like I literally could be fixing two extra breakfasts for three years. Like, and you, it's overwhelming. It's that, what have I gotten myself into? It's too late to get out now, you know, and any other process like that, you know, like people, when you get married, like, oh my goodness, I'm married. Like, this is for real now. Or I just had a baby. This is for real. But you had months to prepare for that. You, you prepare in the fact you're mentally like, I'm going to be a foster parent. But there's no getting to know them. There's no, hey, just, you know, we're going to give you two girls in a couple months. You might want to get them registered for school and you might want to get an extra bed and you might want to get some PJs. It's just, they're there. Um, So it is, it's the overwhelming, um, the overwhelming feeling of just, I, and you really have to just gain control in the sense that faithful is he that called you who also will do it. God's going to take care of this. And it's going to take a minute. I'm not going to just like love them to pieces the first five minutes. I don't even know them. They're strangers, you know. Were you I, were you working at the time? Do you have any job or even volunteer kind of stuff where you're gone during the day? How, how did you handle those kind of things? Right. So I homeschool. I don't work, but it's kind of odd for me to say it. But well, you're a mom home- of seven. You work. <laughs> yeah. I homeschool, but I homeschool our kids. And right. we were like pretty routine, our homeschool. And then I teach piano lessons and I teach uh, at that time, I taught 40 piano lessons. Wow. So that's 20 hours a week of that. And then um, I run an educational ministry. We have a church that includes an aftercare and a preschool and a um, summer day camp, which is, I do all of that on volunteer except the piano lessons. And I do a lot of counseling um, again, volunteer. So I don't work, but I do a ton but of volunteer. But you're very busy. Yeah. And I have, and I homeschool my kids. So it was an adjustment in the schedule. So I am, like I said, technically a stay at home mom, but we're homeschooling and stuff. And in the beginning, there's just a lot to settle. You got to get them in school. Our girls were in a different school district. So we had to get them in school. You've got to meet with caseworkers. You've got to go to court within the first 72 hours. So it's kind of, you know, the first three days, is, it's a little bit. And I recommend to people when you get that foster care placement, the same thing is I recommend to people when they have their first baby, I'm like, take a weekend at least and do like nothing on the schedule. Don't try to jump mm-hmm. back into your normal routine. And the same thing, when you get a foster placement, take those three days and just get used to it. And when the fear of what, do, oh my goodness, what am I going to do about, they've got to have glasses. God will take care of that. I just need to do today. <laughs> like yeah. they don't need the glasses today. How am I going to get them in school? Well, they don't have to go to school today. So let's just do today. And that, like the Bible says, take your today's problems today. You know, like tomorrow has problems of its own. Just, you just do today. And so you mentioned you you get these two little girls and Mm -hmm. you said, you don't know if you'll have them for days or years. Talk to me about that. I think that's one of the things, and you and I have kind of discussed this a little bit before, but I think one of the things that I've heard in the past and even felt as I've thought through, you know, maybe God would, if God would ever have us foster or adopt, 
my big struggle is what if I, I know you said it instantly, you don't love them because you don't know them. But if they're there for a week, a month, six months, you do, you start to develop that bond and that relationship and you start to love them and you're, you're, you're teaching them about Jesus and they're coming to church with you and you're seeing them learn Bible and songs and all of these things. And then you could get that call saying, okay, it's time for them to come back. How do you deal with that, that fear of what if I love them and lose them? Well, I, that goes back to the heart issue of that is self-protection, right? I mean, ultimately what you're saying and not just you, but we all have thought right. this, this is really the big thing that everyone says. I could not fall in love with them and let them go. If you think to the core of that, that doesn't really have anything to do with the child. That has everything to do with us that I don't want to hurt. Mm. I don't want to be sad. And so many people, it's the biggest reason I hear it, people don't foster. And it's really sad that we let it. And I know this is, sounds harsh, but it's truth. The truth is it's selfishness. Yeah. You know, I want to be comfortable. I don't want to be sad. And I cannot let self-protection so that I don't have to be sad. Keep me from helping children who already are. And we had um, one of the kids that we've had, we had two years and we loved her to pieces and we had to, she had to re, was reunified with her dad, the dad who she didn't even know when she came to live with us. I introduced her to the dad. Wow. And so she's seven years old. She's going back to her dad. We dropped her off in a horrible situation. It was safe enough for state standards. It was a trailer that was just a mess. I remember taking her luggage that we we packed her a bag with some stuff in it to her room, walking down the hallway to her room, stepping over like mattresses that were just thrown in the floor. And when I went to set it down in the room, I was trying to figure out like where to set it because like you couldn't see the floor. I mean, it was just, and so I just set it somewhere. As we're dropping her off, she's like, literally, when we we're leaving, screaming, hands reached out to us. No, please, please don't leave me here. Please, 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 please don't leave me here. And here's this dad. I mean, just if you think a typical, you wouldn't feel safe with your kids staying with this man. That's who we're leaving her with. And you have he, no choice in the matter. I have no choice. That was hard. But here's the difference. I didn't want to do that, but I would do it a hundred more times. Because she got two years of something she never had. And at least when she goes back, you know, kids think everyone lives like them. Like when people say, why didn't you tell someone you, your dad was hitting you, you're being abused. They assume every dad hits their kid. They don't, they don't know anybody lives anything sure. different. You know, they're seven. And so now I believe when she went back, at least she goes back knowing not everyone lives like this. Yeah. Not everyone does that. And so now she knows the difference and she knows the Lord and she, we taught her verses and we told her always tell, hold them no matter where you go, no matter what you do, I may not see you for years, but when you're scared, when you're worried, when you don't know, I want you to always remember God loves me and to Miss Angela, Mr. Tim, they're praying for me. Yeah, We will be praying for you. And so I, it was hard. It was difficult, but it was worth the two years we had with her. So, how much of a of a factor is your faith in in fostering? Because because you don't do this just purely out of the goodness of your heart. You've already talked about it. we by nature are selfish. We by nature want our own comfort and 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 we want to kind of have our perfect little world and our perfect. And this is a huge, massive interruption. So, 
how much of this is your faith and how much does your faith play a role in this lifestyle? It's all of it. It's, it's yeah. all faith. And I can't, obviously people with no faith background do this. It, it's not like only Christians are the ones who foster sure. But for me, um, it's all of it. Because if I didn't have my faith, then what would I be living for? I would be living for myself. I mean, this world would be all there is to offer me is there's nothing after this world. So I better get what I want to get out of it. So for me, my faith is everything because that's what God has done that for me. God saw me in my need and he sent a savior for me and he allowed me to choose to accept him as savior and he adopted me into his family. And so it's really just a picture of redemption and adoption. But the faith part is that whole like, I don't have to do this. God is doing this. My goal is to please God. I, that's my goal. I, that's what I have to do. And Romans 14, 12 says every man will give an account of himself to God. So I'm not accountable for the court system. I'm not accountable for the parents. I'm accountable for what I did. And so, but knowing that God has this all under control, knowing that he is going to give us the strength to do it. And really, when you think of what do I have that doesn't belong to God? So our home, God, that's, it's God's home. It's everything we have is a tool to use for him. Yeah. And so why would I have a dining room table that seats 12 with just five of us sitting at it? There's just, he's been so good to us. And we sometimes see those blessings to be used for ourselves, but everything that we've been given isn't, it's to be used to give back, that's to good. serve and to help. And so faith is everything. It's all of it. Now, Tim's a pastor. Um, uh-huh. were you guys on, because even, even in pastor homes, because I'm a pastor, there's not always perfect marriages and everybody just agrees on everything. And it's always wonderful. How did, were you guys, did you come to this conclusion at the same time? How, how did it work between the two of you? Because uh, there may be some people where one really wants to, and one doesn't, um, how, what's your counsel or advice to, to couples as they're working through this process? Well, I'm kind of surprised at your statement that not every marriage is perfect. And <laughs> I thought since my husband was a pastor, it was. What? Right? It's just perfect. This is a big shock to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I think it's it obviously needs to be a mutual decision because it is hard. Um, there's no doubt about it. It's hard bringing a little one into your life. Um, even if they're the best one out there. And uh, truly, we've been blessed with good foster placements. We had one that was a nightmare. Um, even our caseworkers, like I, we, I don't even know what to tell you because we don't usually have them this bad, you know, and I, I will say the nightmare situations are fewer and far between most people yeah. picture the foster care kids, the ones that set your house on fire. It, it, I mean, there are extremes, but that's not the typical situation. Most kids are going to come in and respond very well to love. But anyway, I would encourage a couple to, if say you are, you're like, I'm all in, but my spouse is not. I would ask you, how much have you thought about it and how much have you prayed about it? Sometimes we spend a lot of time thinking about something more than we spend time actually talking to the Lord about it. And I would ask the Lord, Lord, if this is something you want to do, will you work in their heart? Will you help them to see it? And then I would come around to, as as you're praying for them and asking the Lord to move in their heart, because you can't change a heart, but God can. That's where God works. Um, And does the Lord soften their heart to it? Not pushing it, but maybe say, hey, can we take a baby step? I encourage anyone who's thinking about it, take the training classes. Sure. 
at the end of them, you are not licensed. They're not going to call you the next day because you then have to go through the application and stuff like that. But you are very well informed. Right. So it could be you could ask your spouse, hey, could we just take the training classes and just see? Um, the other thing you could do is what's called a um, um, respite. <clears throat> you can become a licensed foster care family and you're just respite. Respite is, hey, we're going out of town this weekend and we're not going to take the, you know, our placements. Could they stay at your house for the weekend? Oh, sure. Or I've gotten calls where, hey, they're staying with grandma, but grandma had electricity cut off. They can't be there like that, but it's getting turned on back on in two days. Can they come stay at your house for two days? And so it's just those little short-term snippet sure. things. There's, there's lots of ways to get involved. But so that's what I would say. Pray, ask the Lord to move in their heart and continue to love them towards the idea and see what God does. So you're you're in Illinois, so that things may be different in different states. But mm-hmm. in in some generalities, if somebody is interested, wh- what's what's kind of the process? Where do, where does one start? Um, kind of walking. Out? You keep saying classes. Where do I find out mm-hmm. about those? That kind of stuff. Yep. So I would just call your local, like in Illinois, it's DCFS, the Department of Child and Family Services. Call your just. I literally when we did it, I just googled. DCFS foster care and look for a phone number. And I just called the first phone number I saw and just said, I'm interested in being a foster parent. What do I need to do? And they'll lead you in the right steps. But what you're going to do is you're going to register for these training classes. And I think ours were once a week, like maybe every Thursday, I don't even remember, maybe 12 weeks, maybe, I think they're three hours. Um, and it's really neat because you're sitting there with a group of people and you get to know each other and you kind of talk about, hey, what are you looking to do and what are you looking to do? And you're going to meet people who are like, I'm just a grandma. My kid was taken away, my, you know, and I'm watching my grandkids and other people like I can't have kids and we're just going this route. And, and so you take the classes and after you take the classes then there's going to be a home study where they're going to send you a de- very detailed application you're going to fill out. They're going to come into your home and check things out. And then you get approved and you get your license. Now, people can be scared of that. One, it's free. This is, you see people like, I'd love to adopt, but it's so expensive. We have adopted four children and we have not paid one penny. Wow. Everything is covered. Um, The home study, which can be $10,000 if you're doing a private adoption or overseas adoption, completely free. Mm. And people are scared with DCFS being in their home don't be scared. DCFS is not in the business of trying to rip children away from their families. Um, you know, simply like, what if they know, like I spanked my kids and what, that's okay. Like when they ask us, we have, like our kids were younger at the time. Do you spank your children? I said, yes, we do. I'm like lovingly. And I, I told them, I said, I, you could put a video camera in and see me spank my children because it's very loving, you know? And so they're not, you don't have to be scared. Truly. They're, they're going to be good advocates for you and help you and it so, sounds, but that's what you would do. It sounds like there's in many different ways, a tons of opportunities for a follower of Jesus to have an impact for the kingdom through this process. I mean, literally sitting in those classes with people, getting to talk to them, getting involved yep. in your community, helping these kids. Now, as a, as a, as a foster parent, what are the rules and regulations as far as sharing your faith with these kids? Let's say they're with you for a few years. You talked about teaching them Bible verses. Are there any restrictions and things of that nature as you're, as you're, I mean, really you're raising them for the time that they're with you. Right. And um, that's what we view it as. We treat our foster children just like our own. Like the rules are the same. What we put into them is the same. Like we pour our lives into them just the same. 
um, even when we take trips and stuff, it's rare that we would leave one of them back, you know, like we, they're just become a part of our family. And so there's, there, the, they're not really many rules and regulations on your end. Nothing can hinder you from practicing your faith. And so take, for instance, if they wanted visits on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, I could say I have church. Like, well, we have to have like, no, because I go to church. It's part of my routine faith base. Um, and they couldn't do that. Okay. Now on the flip side, if you get a child who they have their faith base, you know, say, Hey, this kid's Catholic and I'm not Catholic. And they go to, we go to mass every single Saturday night. And I want him to continue that. You would have to support that. And to me, I'd be fine with it. I'm like, sure. it's not going to, you know, and so, but it can't be the parents like, well, we're Catholic. I want them in mass, but they've never gone in the past. Then they wouldn't let the parent, you know, use that. It's part of but their regular routine. Things. Yes. And one of the scary things um, believers can have too is also a gender is a big gender issue. You know, right now, you know, that's kind of a hot topic in the foster care system that if you have a child who is whatever their sexuality is that they're claiming, you have to support that. And a lot of people get real scared in that. If that's something that's not a part of their faith base or their home, like, I don't want that in my home, whatever. But here's what I say. You have to define support. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you have, most of these kids are so young. If you have a nine-year-old, like, well, I, I want to be a boy. I want to be a boy. When I do I'm educational psychologist and, you know, work with kids in these situations, do a lot of counseling. And I will say to them, um, you know, are you ready to get married? No. Well, are you ready to go to college? Well, no. You know what? You are eight. How about that? It is fine to think different things and search things out. But just like we're not searching for colleges right now because we're not ready to go to college. You don't have to worry about that right now. Yeah. You just get to be a kid. Just like you're not ready to get married right now. So we're not looking at, you know, venues for to get married. We don't have to worry about that right now. So let's just enjoy being a kid and enjoy having you at our house. And we can talk about those things whenever you'd like to talk about them. But there's nothing we have to do about it right now because it's we'll do that down the road. Sure. So there are ways to comply. So as we begin to kind of wind down, if you if somebody came to you and said, Hey, I'm, I'm interested in fostering. I'm scared for all the reasons you've discussed. If you had a couple minutes to just not to convince them, cause I don't think your heart is to convince people to do it. But if you, if you were to just to make the case for it as followers of Christ, based on your experiences, if I, if I let you wrap this up, what, what would you tell somebody that was contemplating, but still just a little hesitant? Do it. <laughs> <laughs> so you convince them. I would, you know, I would, you have to think about this. Who is trying, who has laid that on your heart? Do you think the Bible talks about, you know, don't wrestle against flesh and blood against the power of darkness. Do you think Satan and his workers are in, you know, like the powers of darkness, so to speak, are impressing on your heart to go help children? Right. I doubt it. Sure. I would think that something like that is God pricking you and pressing you and encouraging you. And while we wait until we're comfortable enough, how many opportunities are we missing? And sometimes you just have to dive in. And I think with foster care, it's like that. And I get that it's a huge life choice. I totally do. Even like my husband's a pastor. He's like, what if I was accused of something? That's something people are scared of. Yeah. He's like, I'm a pastor. It's my whole career just being accused. Right. There are a million things, but you know what? Is God who he says he is? And does God do what he says he does? You know, I can trust him. Yeah. 
And I don't think that I'm sinful in bringing children into my home who have nowhere to go. And sometimes we have that pricking and God's brought it into our hearts and our minds. We're thinking about, we're talking about it. How long are we going to wait before we just do it? Um, You know, God's pushing us, you know, like leading us. We're getting information. Do it. There are kids that need this. Final bit of advice from you then. How How do I discern between God leading me and maybe I'm just a good person and I feel sad for these kids and I just want to bring them into my home? Are those... Are those the same thing or? Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, no, I, it's an, it's, I, to me, I think it can be an honest question of, especially yep. maybe you have two, uh, a married couple and they're, and they're, they think differently, which is often the case. And, and let's say the, the wife typically being more the emotional person, um, which is beautiful. Maybe the husband's more just, he's less in, inclined to think that way. He might just be like, well, you're just kind of an emotional person anyway. You just want to, you would help everybody if you could. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about that and we'll and we'll wrap it up. How are you gonna go wrong either way? So yeah. if it's like I'm a good person, so love helping people, where did that come from? There's no good. The Bible says there's no good thing within me. Any good that I want to do comes from the Lord. I don't naturally want to do good. I don't naturally want to bring in a strange child. So I really you can't go wrong with either way. And let me give you a couple of examples of your time for it. Yeah. One is on the website, adoptuskids.org. There are, you go and you look for like search for the children and state lists. There's anyway, there's photo lists for every state, pages and pages Mm. and pages of kids. All the kids on that website are all ready to be adopted. So this whole thing of, well, I don't know if I could take them and let them go. Well, if that was really the thing holding you back, then why aren't you on, you know, adopting these kids that are ready to go? Right. But literally there are pages and pages. These kids, if they're on that website, there's not one person in the world who'll take them. Hmm. They've looked for the family. They've looked for the teachers, for the close friends, for the cousins. Not one person in the world wants these children. And I think it's sad that in America, in a country with such, um, such prosperity, we have a website with children, pictures of children that no one will take. Like, yeah. really? We, I mean, we, you don't have one bedroom in your house. Like, you don't have, you couldn't put a set of bunk beds. What's it going to do to my kids? It's going to enhance their life. It's going to teach them that life isn't about them and not everyone lives like they do. And it's going to teach them to give and serve and get down in the muck with people. And so I think it's really sad that we have that. And Christians love to talk about it. And we get like, people like, oh, I just love what you're doing. You're amazing. We're not amazing. We're sinners. We like yeah. our way. We like our comfort. We, this is really funny. You know, my husband's 46 and um, I think I'm 43. And we are looking for a 15 passenger van. And we just, my husband's like, you know, this is where we're supposed to be going through a midlife crisis and getting like a Harley right. or, you know, a convertible. We are getting a van because we have a car seat. You know? And so that. The second point that I'd like to say or an example, one of our little girls, her mom grew up in foster care, really barely in foster care, literally group homes, torn from place to place to place because nobody would take her. And she lived just one of the most horrible lives you can imagine, like picture someone just living downtown LA, like just has nothing and being completely used and abused. That's what this lady Mm. has lived, still lives, still continue to live. When she was growing up, she said nobody would, she said they couldn't find foster homes for people. 
she said, especially me once I was eight or nine years old, she said, so I just bounced place to place. And once I was like 11 or 12, then they just put me in group homes and stuff because nobody would take me. When she was young, there was no one who would take her. The Christian world, which should be a lot more heavily involved in this. And, and they do, they do, there are some who are, I'm not, I'm sure. not negating that. But the church, the Christians, they weren't there to take her. But when she turned 18, the world was. And they were happy to take her. And the world has taken her since she turned 18 and abused her. And she's lived a horrible, horrible, horrible life. And what if the church had been there for her when she was younger? Yeah. Why was the church not there? I don't, I don't want to downplay the church because I think mean, the church is amazing, does great things to Christians. Why weren't we as parts of the church? Right. Why weren't we there for her, but the world was? Yeah. And we just had to be careful. And we recently took in, we have a placement right now, 15 months old. He's a quadriplegic. And we thought we were done, right? We have seven kids. I mean, how much more? I mean, we've done our part, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like it could be easy to think that. And I, we've half thought that like, okay, we now we're for real, just advocating, like we've done our duty, you know? And so we had these seven kids. Our house is already full. My parents moved in with us last year. We have 13 people who live in our house. So we have our seven kids, me and Tim, my parents live. We put a base, uh, redid our basement a little bit. They live downstairs. We have a preschool teacher at our church, um, young lady, 21. She's amazing. And we made her a room in the back. So she lives here. We get a call that says, hey, there's these parents. They they have this baby. They can't find a place to put them. They say they're innocent. I'm really trying to help them. And this was in foster care system, just somebody who knew me. Is there any way you could help them or know somebody can? The baby's fine. Like he had this incident. He had, you know, a G-tube and stuff like this, but he's going to come home fine. Like he won't have any of that. He's, he's done great. And so we could not believe we were saying yes, but we really felt the Lord saying, you need to take this baby. And yeah. we were just, we cannot believe, this, you know, but it's just a couple months. They're like, they're innocent. They're going to go to court in September probably. And they'll be able to get him back. No problem. When we go to pick him up, he was down in St. Louis in the hospital. When we go to pick him up. We walked in the door. This kid is sitting in a kid cart, which is AKA a baby wheelchair wheelchair. A team of people is like, oh my goodness, you're here. Okay, yes, we're ready to start. We have a lot to do to do. We're going to train you on this and this and this and this. And he's got wires coming out of him. And we're like, we had to ask him to stop. Like, hold on, hold on. We need a second here. Like, this is not what we were expecting. And all long story short, come to find out, this kid's never going to walk. He has two spinal cord injuries and a brainstem injury. He, I mean, he couldn't even hardly move. And God brought him to us in August. He's with us now and um, he's made great strides, but he has a diaphragmic pacer that helps him breathe. He has two machines hooked, sewn into his body. He has a G-tube. I have to do G-tube feedings four times a day. We have to get his kid cart in and out. He can do nothing on his own. So it's, I mean, and his doctor's appointment last week, he only had 10 appointments. And I was like, oh, it's kind of a slow week for us. I mean, we're at the doctor or therapy or visit at least 10 to 15 different appointments a week. Now, had I thought in doing the homeschooling, the counseling, having seven children, my church, everything that if I had, they had said, Hey, could you do this? I would be like, um, no, like, honestly, I probably wouldn't even prayed about it. I would just been like, that would not fit. That's not what God has. You know what? God had something else and he brought it to us. We wouldn't change it for the world. And God sometimes says, 
no, you can do the things that aren't logical and you can do the things you don't think you can do. And people say, oh, you're such a blessing to those kids. And we're like, no, no, no. They're a blessing to us. They change your lives. There has been nothing that has grown me spiritually, grown me as a person that has changed my life as much as foster care. I love it. Me too. It. That's awesome. It's hard. I'll tell you, it's hard. I can I'm not telling you any of it's easy. But I will say, and for your listeners, if my phone number, my email, please give it out. Anybody, I don't even have to know you. We help people all the time. Yeah. Please reach out. Please text me, email me, connect with me on Facebook. Say, man, can we just talk more about this or could you help me out? I mean, truly, however we can help people, we're happy to help. And we've got to advocate for these kids. Well, we'll put that information out there. Thank you, Angela, yeah. for what you do. Thank you for the example that you are. I know you don't do it for that and you don't do it for those accolades, but it but it does encourage others that are looking into this to have somebody that's kind of been there, done that to to kind of look to as an example and as guidance. So appreciate it. Our pleasure. It's our joy. Thank you for joining me for this conversation. If you would, please take a moment to write a brief five-star review on iTunes to help out the show. Also, I'd love to have you jump over to everydaychristiannetwork.com to see some of the other great podcasts and content available to you. We'll see you next time on Christian Conversations. Christian Conversations.